Hannah Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Welcome back to another episode of Ohio Politics Explained, the Mountains of COVID Cash edition. This week, we're talking about a months-long investigation by our team into Ohio's youth prisons, why Republicans might not ban abortion at conception this year, how the state is spending billions in COVID cash, and what it means to be the candidate with a lot more money. Joining me today is reporter Laura Bischoff. Welcome back. That is quite a varied list we have going on today. Yeah, and we're going to start with a topic that was eight months in the making. Laura spent all that time digging and document requesting to figure out what's happening in Ohio's youth prisons. And the results are, well, they're not so good. Laura's investigation details stories of prison guards being sent to the hospital, falling asleep on their jobs, being overworked, understaffed, and sometimes treating the kids in these facilities pretty poorly. Yeah, you know, it takes a lot to pull the curtain back on Ohio's Department of Youth Services. There's a lot of confidentiality laws that apply. Because the kids are under 18. Because they're under 18. Well, actually, they're under 21. Mm. Um, These are kids who were adjudicated through the juvenile court system. And typically, the kids who end up in these juvenile um, correctional facilities are the ones who have committed the most serious violent crimes. And, you know, they've also, they've also suffered extraordinary trauma in their lives. And it's probably, you know, part of the reason that they are where they are. But, you know, it's also, I would say on the staff side of things, it's got to be one of the toughest jobs in state government because you are dealing with such a challenging population. And, you know, people who work in these facilities, they have very strict rules about what they can and can't do when it comes to use of force. Yeah. And one of the things I wanted to highlight from your report, which I highly recommend folks go and read, is the case of uh, Robert Wright. Yeah. He was a kid from the Cincinnati area and he he died, I can't remember which year it was. but August of 2020. I have it in my notes here. There we go. August (laughs) of 2020. And um, that was during the pandemic. And he had an underlying um, health issue, but there was also amphetamines found in his system. And uh, one of the things and kind of the the report afterwards, one of the things they found was that the staff weren't doing their rounds. They weren't doing their 30-minute round checks like they're supposed to. They were sleeping. And they were falling asleep on the job. And the story that we just posted about what's happening in DYS system also details um, an incident of a guard falling asleep at his desk, not realizing. He didn't even wake up for when this kid crawled between his legs and, you know, snatched a couple of candy bars. And then the guard got super enraged and used a bunch of racial th- slurs and obscenities and went after uh, the kid. It's, it's just very, um, it's pretty eye-popping. Um, but he, so he fell asleep on the job. And also um, the Corrections Institute Inspection Committee, worst acronym ever, <laughs> CIIC, you know, they do inspections of um, the youth and adult prisons. And they found that two of the three juvenile correctional facilities, they're not they're not documenting that they're doing their rounds as required every 30 minutes. And that's, you know, those are done for, for, for safety reasons. Yeah. And in the case of uh, this uh, 17-year-old from the Cincinnati area, he, he died. Now, we obviously have no way of knowing what would have happened if they had checked on him. Like, you know, you and I had talked before this, that they don't go in and like shake you every 30 minutes. They look in. Now, maybe they would have seen something. Maybe the outcome would have dif- been different. Maybe it wouldn't have. But those those checks are in place to protect the, the kids who are in these facilities. Right. In, in the case of a juvenile correctional facility uh, or system, you know, the state is assuming 
the role of parent or guardian. And so there's a duty of care there. And these, uh, these rules are in place for a reason. And I would like to say before we move on to our next topic that part of the reason these guards are perhaps sleeping on duty is not that they are bad people, but they are working back-to-back double shifts. They're working mandatory overtime. Like, it may literally be that they can't keep their eyes open. Yeah, this is happening in the youth and the adult system. They're just so short of um, of staff to to work in uh, in state prisons. And, you know, guards are telling me that, like, they'll, they'll work the 8 to 4 shift and, you know, along about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, their supervisor will come along and say, hey, we need you to stay for, for a double. And they'll work back-to-back shifts day after day. Yeah, that's got to be really hard. So our second topic is abortion. Republicans have majority in both the Ohio State House and Senate. They are the party that opposes access to abortion overall. And so you think it would be a certainty that they would come back after the November election and pass a bill that bans abortion from the moment of conception, right? They've been talking about it for years. Easy peasy. Well, you'd be wrong because it turns out that deciding exactly when and how to restrict abortions is a little more complicated and Republicans might not have a deal done by the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, this is a, ca- a case of where there's um, factions among Republican lawmakers about what kind of approach they should take. You know, even with the political cover of lame duck, it's difficult to get the votes. And there may be some concern about backlash. I mean, you look at like Michigan is going to be voting on the, a constitutional right to abortion, uh, you know, in a few weeks. Kansas approved um, such a right. And so and I think there's talk in Ohio about maybe putting it on the ballot yeah. um, sometime next year or the year after. And so... I think that they're, the Republicans are kind of putting some thought into how to approach this. Um, and also, you know, this doing it in lame duck, although it gives them political cover, you know, this is uh, clearly something that the Republicans want. And Senate President Matt Huffman is returning. Kind of looks like uh, Mike DeWine is likely returning, given how the polls are looking for him. So this is certainly something that could be addressed in 2023. Yeah, and that's what Huffman sort of said. He anticipates Republican majorities and a Republican governor, so there's not a huge rush. Now, obviously, if Whaley wins the election, that would change the calculus. But he also said, you know, there are some questions about how life at conception would affect in vitro fertilization, would affect birth control, would affect contraceptive, like uh, emergency contraceptive, like Plan B. There's, you know, rape and incest exemptions are coming back up because, you know, Republicans are not a monolith on a lot of these issues. And, you know, that infamous case of the 10 year old girl really put in stark contrast, like, should there be exemptions for victims of rape for minor children under the age of consent? There's a lot of detail to work out. And there's also a lot of medical detail to work out on what life of the mother looks like. And the Senate president says he he would like to focus right now on these life of the mother exemptions making them what you'd call medically relevant. Yeah, I mean, the life of the mother um, exception was has already been debated in the in the case of the 10-year-old. Um, yeah, whether, whether she would have Whether or not she would have qualified. There's medical experts uh, who say maybe, maybe not, certainly not a, a, not a sure thing. And that's also been um, kind of a flashpoint in the attorney general's race between Democrat uh, Jeff Crossman and uh, Republican Dave Yost as well over whether or not this life of the mother exception, how it would apply. So you're right, they're going to they're gonna try and get some more clarity on that. Our third topic is money. 
lots of money. Some might even say mountains of money. So Ohio got $26 billion from various bills related to the COVID-19 pandemic. And so far, we've spent about $16 billion of it. And Laura went through the list of all the stuff that we bought and put it together in one place. And here are some of the highlights. So we spent about $1.47 billion repaying a loan we took out during the pandemic to cover unemployment. So Ohio's unemployment system didn't have enough money to pay out all the claims. We borrowed money. We paid that money back. We've also spent money on rural broadband, on police, on PPE. Schools got a giant cut chunk of money that they get to spend. We've done, you know, spending on uh, rental assistance, like mortgage payment assistance. Like it's really, it's all over the place, right? Yeah. I thought it was um, particularly interesting that like the, you know, I'm going to borrow some money from you. You're going to give me some other money and then I'm going to pay you back with your money. Yeah. (laughs) Essentially what Ohio did with COVID cash for the unemployment system. Yeah. Like, so Ohio received about $26 billion overall in federal cash from about six different uh, federal bills, including like the CARES Act, the American Rescue Plan, et cetera, et cetera. It's like a, a regular alphabet soup. Yeah. Of uh, acronyms. And, and that's on top of the cash that went directly into the pockets of eligible um, Ohioans. And they have about $10 billion that's still unspent, although some of it has been appropriated and earmarked. But it's sort of interesting because, like, meat processors got some money. Water and sewer <laughs> projects. There's a big chunk of money going to Appalachia community grants. Cops and firefighters, crime prevention grants. Huge pile. Vaximilian. 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 For those who don't remember, those like scholarships and money pads for getting vaccinated. That's right. There was some some actual like money that went into public health for like laboratories and personal protective equipment yeah. and testing. I mean, basically, you name it, and it probably got some COVID cash. (laughs) Our fourth and final topic is also related to money. It's about fundraising and what it means when one party or one candidate vastly outraises the other. And here in Ohio, um, I kind of focused on the state Senate. So there are 17 state Senate races this year, and the two parties are playing with very different amounts of money. So the Republican Senate Campaign Committee has about $4.4 million to spend, while Ohio Senate Democrats had less than two. 200,000. And what this means, if you're wondering, is it's about the money that you can give to candidates, say, in swing districts, but it's also about money you can give to more long shot candidates to make a not so competitive seat, perhaps competitive. And that's got real impacts in that long shots win from time to time. So that could be a pickup, but also the whole rising tide lifts all boats theory. So if you give, say, Republicans in Cincinnati a reason to come out and vote, it may help DeWine. It might help J.D. Vance. It might help Steve Shabbat in his congressional race. Like it's the rising tide lifts all boat theory. Yeah. Money is, as they say, the mother's milk of politics. And, you know, that story, you really, it's what we call in the industry an evergreen. It's something that could could run any old time. I mean, the GOP holds the power in Ohio politics. So the contributions generally go to the Republicans who in turn hold the power. Yeah. Senate President Matt Huffman said it was about fundraising and about having like long term plans and that he he's been fundraising since like January of 2021. But Democrats also said it's also about gerrymandering, like the people with the big money know that Republicans are going to be in power, know that the districts favor them. And, you know, you want to give to the winner, basically. Didn't you find, um, though, that there was one where there was like 
the candy and T-shirt budget exceeded that of the Democrats' entire campaign budget. Yes. And I think that was kind of the lead because it's sort of a stark contrast on like the amount of money that we're playing with. But we should also keep in mind that, um, you know, there are candidates who win with little to no money, little to no support. There are always those kinds of surprises, too. Yeah. In general, the people with uh, less money like to say, I'll have enough money to get my message out. Right. And one more thing before you go. The Ohio Supreme Court removed a Cleveland municipal judge from her bench this week for misconduct that included disrespectful treatment, falsifying court documents, and being basically inappropriately dressed in court. She was apparently wearing tank tops and spandex shorts. Yeah, Pinky Carr has been on the great Cleveland, name, by the way. Pinky Carr has been on the uh, Cleveland Municipal Court bench since 2012. Uh, this investigation began when she continued to hold hearings during the, um, the outset of the coronavirus uh, outbreak, when courts were supposed to be shut down, and she was issuing arrest warrants for people who didn't show up. So there were, you know, ma- major problems just yeah. with the administration of how she was running court. But then there was also like just sort of some unusual behavior. Like she was, uh, she would joke with the defendants about going easy on them if they hooked her up with freebies like, you know, food or mm-hmm. carpeting mm-hmm. or it's funny, but it's space. not right. Yeah. And some of the defendants actually took it seriously. Oh, like geez. saying, oh yeah, I can hook you up. Yeah. Come, come see me. I'll take care of you. Oh my gosh. Um, she referred to her bailiff as Miss Puddin, who oh. apparently is a character in Pea Valley, a fictional strip club in Mississippi. It's some sort of show. And then also her bench was decorated or littered, depending on your point of view, with cups and dolls and trinkets. Um, one of the documents said it, it kind of resembled a flea market. Oh, geez. And the documents also said that she overall, she was kind of conducting court more in the manner of a game show host than a judge. More like Judge Judy, perhaps? Yeah, but apparently with tank tops and spandex shorts. shorts. Yeah, and one of the things as part of her indefinite suspension is she agreed to undergo evaluations for her mental and physical health. Yes, but this is still pretty extraordinary that the court um, suspended her indefinitely and removed her from the bench. That's from the Ohio Supreme Court. Ohio Politics Explained is brought to you by the USA Today Network Ohio Bureau. You can find us on Twitter at Ohio Explained. And if you want to learn more, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network, like the Zanesville Times Reporter. That's Z-A-N-E, Bill Times, Reporter.com.